beginning at verse 31 and going through 33. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. This is the Word of God for the people of God. Amen. Say that with me. God is true. God is true. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, You are true. You are truth. You are reality. You are the beginning, the end, and all the in-betweens of our lives and of all creation and history. And so as we worship You this morning, as Your Word is proclaimed, Heavenly Father, remind us of that simple fact that there is none before You and there were none before You. For You always have been and always will be. Amen. You may be seated. I'm reminded of a story about a man who was hiking through the woods in mountainous regions and just trying to enjoy nature. And he came across a ridge and as he was walking across this mountain ridge, he lost his footing. And as he began to lose his footing, he starts sliding down the mountain on his belly, feet first, reaching up, trying to grab a hold. And at the very last instant, he grabs a hold of a rock and his feet are dangling as he's hanging at an angle on the side of a cliff. He looks over his shoulder to see what is there and it's nothing but empty space for several hundred feet. He looks up and he can't climb up because it's too steep and there's no handholds. The only thing he can hold on to is a rock. And he's got a good hold of it. But he's nervous because he's stuck. So he begins to shout. And he tries to get other hikers' attention who might be on the trail where he'd slipped from. And he says, Is anybody up there who can help? I need help! And he hears a voice thunder from heaven. And the voice says, This is God. And he said, Oh God, I'm so thankful. I'm stuck and I need your help. And he says, I'm here to help. The man says, Alright Lord, what are you going to do? He says, Let go of the rock. The man looks toward heaven, thinks a moment, and shouts out, Is there anybody up there with a rope? He wanted an answer he was looking for, not the one God wanted him to have. You know what I mean? He was practical. Makes sense. I would have done the same. I would rather have had a rope than let go of the only thing keeping me alive in my mind. But don't we do like the same thing? Don't we seek God's will? And when it's revealed, we say, uh, God, I know that's your will, but got any other ideas here we can do instead of that? You ever done that? God, what else you got? Because I've, I've done that before. And uh, I don't know if you've ever heard this, but people always say, well, I don't know that I want to follow God, be a missionary, because then He's going to make me go to China or Africa. 
That's because they're thinking worst case scenario. But what else has God got? What else does He have? Because what He's going to call you to is going to perfectly match you. He's not going to call you to failure. He's going to call you to success. But listen to this. This guy hanging on the cliff. Fast forward a couple years. What story is he going to tell? I waited for a rope or I let go and God somehow delivered me. I've heard that story told many different ways. And one of the ways was the man was still hanging onto the rock the next morning, frozen to death, and he was a foot away from a ledge he could not see. I've heard it's told that way. And then I've heard it told this way, that he let go and God caught him and lifted him up superpower, supernaturally. I've heard it said different ways. But if God asks you to do something, He's not going to ask you to fail. He's not going to lead you to something that He doesn't want you to be at. And so when something happens like that in our lives and we begin to trust God, we can tell that story. We can talk about it. In verse uh, 33, it talks about setting the seal. It says, whoever receives his testimony, that's Jesus' testimony, sets his seal to this, that God is true. And that seal is that wax stamp that a king would put on a letter that showed that he wrote that. And that it was only uh, able to be broken by someone who is a recipient of that letter. In Revelation, you see about the different seals on different things, on scrolls. That's the same thing. And so God sets the seal on a testimony of Jesus Christ. And that testimony is, God is true. That word true is reality. That He is who He says He is as the Scriptures revealed Him. It's like a letter, almost, where God has sealed within it who He is and He sets His seal to that and says you can believe what's in here. But it's a little different because we read the letter and then He seals it on us. Once we believe, we're sealed by the Holy Spirit. God is kind of like a notary. He puts His stamp on it and says, this is actually what this is. You ever had your signature notarized? I know we have a notary here. So, that verifies that the one who put the stamp on it said this is true. This is what it is. And that's what God does once we have affirmed and believed what Jesus told us. But the Scripture tells us we can only testify to what we see and hear. It says even in the passage that Jesus testified to what He saw and heard. Now, saw and heard are almost the same word here. The idea here is that what He saw and what He heard that He testifies to as in seeing and understanding, hearing and understanding. Not just seeing and hearing and being basic about it, but with understanding and connection to what He saw and heard in the heavens and from His heavenly Father. And He understood what the Father meant so He could also present it with clarity to us. So that which He saw and understood and heard and understood, He could speak and reveal. Because there are certain things that you see that you talk about and there are certain things that you hear that you talk about. So there's different kinds of witnesses there. 
And so when it says in verse 33 that you see, He sets a seal, God sets the seal on our lives with the Holy Spirit. But we can't live a godly life without God. Would you agree? That's what it's all about. The Holy Spirit empowers us to live a godly life. And inside of that is a knowing confidence that you're sealed by what has sealed you was true. The word seal can also be certified or verified or validated that that which has sealed us into God's kingdom is the truth. And now we have this confidence inside that this is what happened to me also. In this passage today, it sounds like a lot of talk about Jesus' testimony, but there's a reason for it. This whole section comes on the heels of the passage right before it where the Jewish community is asking John why his disciples are all going to Jesus. There becomes this kind of honor thing you're losing them. He's gaining them. You must be shamed by this. In verse 26, in this same chapter, it says, They came to John and said, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he's baptizing and everybody's going to him. See that rivalry they're trying to stir up in John? Oh, he's taking my people. You know, this isn't good. This is what they're trying to get him to do. To, to explain how Jesus could take His honor by taking His disciples from Him. And John isn't defending His disciples, but letting them go. And listen to what John says in verse 27. He says, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it's given him from heaven. That's his seal. I can't have a disciple unless God brings them to me. And if He sends them over to His Son, I'm okay with that. Because heaven, God, is transferring them over to His Son. And I'm not going to argue with God on this one. His Son is much more than I am. And that's what John is trying to say. His attitude here manifested in believers is a huge difference. Oh, that we would do the same thing. Continually transferring grace, praise, glory, honor, love, fame, and focus of life back to Jesus. It's about Him. You may think I'm great, but no, He's greater. This is about Jesus. It's not about me. And this is what John was saying. Wouldn't that be awesome to hear all believers turning anything brought to them over to Jesus? Saying, yes, I see you asking me these questions, but you really want to hear from Him. Because that's who I serve. And the reason why we do that is because Jesus is reality and He's truth and He's the One who is above all. And that's what happens in the words right before this passage for today. Because it can't stand alone. There's a context. And we can't miss the intent of what's gone on just before, which I've just explained. John set his seal, an affirmation of what Jesus was all about, on what Jesus said and who He is. And that was his testimony. I'm not the Christ. He is. I'm not Him. He is. 
Don't come to me. Go to Him. I'm not worthy to even touch or untie the strings on His sandals. I'm not even worthy to do the slave job for Him. That's a wonderful mindset. And when John was asked who he is, he said, I'm a voice crying in the wilderness to prepare the way of the Lord, make the rough places straight, and the, uh, the sorry, rough places plain and the crooked straight, to make a valley out of, uh, excuse me, a, a, a straight way in the desert for, the, for our Lord, quoting Isaiah, that he's the one crying to prepare for Jesus. He's getting the path open through the desert, through the forest, or wherever that path is needed for Jesus to come. John was making a way. Everything he did was making a way for Jesus to enter and be glorified. That's what his task was, and he was very consistent with that. In verse 31, I'm going to scroll to it so you can see this. It says, The one from above is above all. That one from above is talking about the one who was there at the beginning. The one who's in the heavens. The one who is highest in honor. That one. Then there is only one, Jesus. That one is above all. And all means everything. But mostly in this um, verse, He's talking about people. Jesus is above all humanity. And so, when they're trying to bring John to be jealous of Jesus, saying, He's above me. I am not going to resist the one above me because all the people going to Him is a good thing. In verse 32, I think this is critical. It says, He who bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet nobody receives his testimony. That phrase, nobody receives it, is grab hold. So the guy hanging on the side of the cliff onto the rock, afraid he's going to die if he lets go, he's received that rock. He's grabbed hold of that rock. That solid rock testimony, this thing's keeping me alive. That's his story. And that's what it says here. If you bear witness to what you've seen and heard, and this is Jesus bearing witness to the Father and to the way of truth and life, and yet nobody's received that testimony. When I read that, I said, wait a minute. Why can't we? It says we can't receive Jesus' testimony. And, and you saw in the New Testament, the scribes, the Pharisees, and most people just couldn't understand what He was talking about. Even His disciples got it wrong. And they were His inner circle of trust. So why can't we grab a hold of it and it gives us a hint and says you can't grab a hold of it unless you grab a hold of it with all that you are. With all that you are. If you look verse 33, whoever receives his testimony, and that means whoever grabs a hold with all that they are to the words Jesus says, then you're sealed. And when you're sealed, you know God is true. Why don't we receive His testimony though? Well, we live out our life from human standpoints. Jesus did not 
as he knew things from a heavenly standpoint. He would say things that people didn't understand. He still asks us to do things we don't always understand him. We think that's not practical. Sometimes we're locked into self-focus and when we are, Jesus seems kind of awkward. Even His teachings seem awkward. I heard one person say one time, I know I'm supposed to love other people, but how does that pay my rent? I know I'm supposed to pray, but how does that pay my rent? How does that cover my electric bill? Very practical thinking about self-focus and a very here and now type of thing. Jesus is an eternal thing and it doesn't seem to jive with the immediate needs of life. And so it can seem kind of awkward if you're focused on yourself and your immediate life and living. that makes sense? So if you're having a tough time and you say, I know God is real, but uh, how am I supposed to help my kids who won't listen? They're going the wrong direction. How am I supposed to help my community that doesn't have a direction or hope? It's struggling. How does any of this relate? And Jesus says, if you start with what's the problem with Jesus, you're not going to get to the answer of Jesus. John says you've got to start with Jesus. You can't start with the problem and get to the answer. You start with Jesus and get to the address of life. In other words... What this passage is about is asking us the question, how do we really change? How does Jesus transform us? How does that happen? How can we receive the testimony that Jesus tells us? How can we be sealed and confident? And how can we come to know God is real? And and if you don't know it, then everything else seems more important. Wouldn't you agree? After all, if God doesn't seem real to people who don't believe in God, they're focused on trying to make ends meet. Trying to live their life. Trying to get ahead. Trying to do all these things. Because if God isn't real, then this life is what you focus on. And yet, the answer is in this passage right before it that I haven't yet read. In verse 29. And this is John the Baptist speaking. He says, The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bride who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, therefore, because of this, my joy is now complete. I went, wait a minute. He's losing all his disciples to the bridegroom. How is your joy complete when it seems all your sustenance is falling apart. Everything that you rely on, your disciples come to bring clothing, shelter, and food to sustain you as you do the work of God. And you're losing them all. How can your joy be complete? And he said, my joy is that I get to hear His voice. He's the one I'm glorifying. I'm not trying to elevate me or my needs above Him and I refuse it. Because my joy is for Him to be magnified. For Him to be exalted. And if I can exalt Him, no matter what's going on in my life, I know I'm the bride of the bridegroom. And the bridegroom will take care of me, not my disciples. See, when we start asking questions, how do I pay the bills? You know, what Jesus got to do with that? All of a sudden, we're trying to think that we're the ones who are doing that and not Jesus. Jesus. 
that we're our own provider, that God is not, and we've elevated ourselves into a role we don't belong in. Now, I'm not saying if you have money, you don't go pay the bills. I'm saying it's not your job to be your sustenance. God is your sustenance. And this other stuff is details. Food, clothing, and shelter are details. God is life. But this world teaches us that food, clothing, and shelters are necessary for life. That's not true. Jesus is life. He's necessary. All the rest, He will take care of if you have Him as your life. That's the joy of knowing who God is. John desired to build Him up and exalt Him regardless of His situation. Because Jesus has come and He's the one that's promised, the Messiah, the Son of God, and that's all He wants to know about. This is the joy of knowing who the Lord is. And many believers miss it or don't have that kind of joy. What about you? Do you have the joy that John has because Jesus is glorified? Do you have this inner joy that springs up like a well of happiness and peace? I guess the way I'd like to say this is, are you emotionally involved with Jesus? That sounds almost like a contradiction in terms, but let me tell you something. If all of you isn't invested in Jesus and your emotions and your heart and your mind and your soul aren't invested in it, you're missing something. The very first command is love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. Your emotions got to be in there. And if your joy is to serve Him, when you serve Him, it brings you joy. When you see things happening that are great for Him, you're joyful because you're invested emotionally in Him. This Gospel message from Jesus was seen and heard by Jesus and told to us what He saw and heard. It was delivered. It was signed off by His blood on the cross. And the seal is the testimony that we have of the Holy Spirit in us. So my question is, what story have you sealed up that you believe is in the envelope of your life? What story have you sealed as true, as real, that is the most important part of your life? What is it that you believe has signed your life to, sealed it, and will deliver you? Because if you don't have all three components, you have a life that won't have a deliverer. One of the most important questions that a lot of people have struggled with and answered in Jesus is, who do you trust for your salvation? And the answer is, there's only one source. Jesus Christ. But He isn't just the giver of salvation. He is salvation. Now listen to what the Scripture tells us. John tells us in his Gospel, and this is eternal life, that you would know Jesus and the One who sent Him. That you would know Him as real, as Lord, as King, as the One we celebrate. And if you're hanging on to a rock on any other slope that isn't going to support that, you might as well let go and let God bring you to the right one. My challenge this morning for myself and for you 
is that we each would be able to say with confidence, God is real. Jesus Christ is real. And whenever someone says, praise the Lord, I kind of want to shout and go, me too! It's kind of interesting. Yesterday we had the recovery fest. And I remember last year we had the first one. And people would be praising God. And the band that uh, sang a song this time, another band that sung something similar, talked about, well, I'm going to raise my hands and praise Jesus. And so I'm looking around saying, is anybody else doing it? Should I do it? You know, I don't, you know, I don't want to raise my hands and be embarrassed. You know, this was last year. Yesterday, because the joy and emotional connect that God has given me recently through this sermon series, I heard Him say, I raise my hands to give you praise. And all of a sudden I went, yeah, me too. And I got excited again. All this emotion just coming out because I'm so thankful for who He is. And I know that I know that I know. And if that is in your story, what's sealed inside you? Because what's sealed comes through your joy and what brings you joy. John the Baptist said, take all I got. As long as it's going to Jesus, I'm okay with it. Would you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, when we come down to it, You are who You said You are. And You've transformed us by Your grace, by Your mercy, and Your healing. And yet, parts of our lives seem incongruent at times. We say one thing and yet we live out another. And that difference, Heavenly Father, between what we say and what we do is something You're trying to work out in us that we would no longer walk two paths at the same time, but confidently with full strength. And all that we are moving in the same direction, both heart, mind, soul, emotion, and our will, and our strength, and all of us going in the same direction to You, always directed to You. So God, where we're not interdirected that way, where our lives aren't focused that way, I ask You would show us this morning that we may come before You and say, Lord Jesus, right now, I need to know Your presence, Your life, and Your love in me. And I need to know that You're going to bring me through everything in life like you said you would. And right now, when you tell me and show me, I will grab on with all that I am and never question again. Heavenly Father, I believe this is how transformation begins. And those of us who need to make that step yet again, may we do it now, in your honor, in your glory, to make you know. Amen.